Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right. All right. Hello, everybody. It is Sunday, 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 <laughs> which means we're back recording another episode of Whiskey and Wonder. And we are both dead ass tired. Yes, we are. I'm Megan. <laughs> I'm Tyler. And uh, we're tired. Yes. Um, but we're here for you guys. We're going to keep being here for you guys. Yes, uh, this is a podcast where every week we drink uh, whiskey and review it um, and then teach the other person something that has made us wonder. That is the story of us. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, You can check us out at whiskeyandwonder.com. I highly suggest everybody go check us out on YouTube. Uh, Our channel name is Whiskey and Wonder. Uh, email us your feedback, contact at whiskeyandwonder.com, Instagram, we're at whiskey podcast, and there's a whole bunch of other things that you can find in the show notes and on the screen. If you're on YouTube, you can also check us out at patreon.com slash whiskey and wonder. And I have recently started trying to build up some bonus content. So we should have that out for you guys soon. Um, I want to start our announcements by apologizing. We are so bad at social media. Uh, so bad. <laughs> so, so bad. Suck. <laughs> so Sorry. we're going to, tr- we're going to try really hard. I know we've said that before and fallen off the wagon. We're going to try again. Um, in fairness though, I haven't had the time to drink any whiskey. <laughs> Apart from the podcast, so... I also have not drank anything this week, so I mean... Um, check us, check out uh, the website, check out the store. We still have some stickers. We still have uh, whiskey tumblers with our logo on it. If you want to get some of those, that would be awesome. We would appreciate it. You can find the prices and whatnot all there. And we are always, always looking for guests and guest drinkers. We've got a couple folks lined up here in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really looking forward to having having these folks on. We think everybody out there listening will enjoy as well. Um, and lastly, as always, thank everybody for the donations and for your support. We wouldn't be here without you. Wouldn't be able to get these whiskeys and and the equipment and you know just make this what it is. Keep it Definitely. growing. So we appreciate it. Definitely, you guys make this all possible. Um, you got anything else? All right, then. We're going to jump right in today. The open segment. All right. So you said your week's been uh, hectic. Yes. Um, Today, especially, I slept through my alarm. Nice. I woke up late, uh, and I was late to work, and I closed my arm in the door <laughs> all it's just right. been a bad day everything it's all been like little tiny stuff that sounds stupid but then it's all been at once together and it's like i just want to go to bed yeah it's it's just been it's been a heck of a week for me um i didn't sleep very well last night i went fishing yesterday and uh, like a jackass, didn't wear any sunscreen. and That's very bad for you. Yeah, well. You look like a potato. 
No, or not a potato, a, a tomato. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see that. He but, looks like a tomato, not a potato. Yes, I. Tomato. Last night sleeping, the covers were so painful. It was not fun. Um, Wear sunscreen. Yeah, yeah. Don't be a jackass like me, mm-hmm. because I had sunscreen and just forgot to put it on. What? That's so bad. I keep it in in my kayak in my crate, but yeah. So. And that, cancer is real and not fun. Yeah, that, well, that's true as well. I, honestly, though, I'm not that worried about that. Um, Personally, on a personal level, you guys should be. <laughs> I'm worried. Well, yeah, I can understand. <laughs> I think, didn't you say a couple weeks ago you had it mm-hmm. previously? Yeah. Yeah, so. I have a history of yeah. that. Um, so what else has gone on this week? You said it's been a hectic week. Yes, uh, I might as well toss this out here since this is just the the bullshit segment. Um, I think I'm going to start. Um, you know, before you say anything, um, I don't want to interrupt, but in my head, like I heard you say yodeling. <laughs> like That's what I <laughs> what? thought you were going to say. I'm going to start yodeling. <laughs> I, I don't think I, I don't think I can yodel. Oh, well. I don't right. think I could. I don't know why, but that's what I pictured coming out okay. of your mouth. All well, right, that's, what, what are you going to start? I'm sorry. Not yodeling. Um, I think I am going to start... Uh, I'm definitely starting to get into, like, nail art again. Um, I was really big into doing my nails and, like, doing nail art stuff in, like, my early 20s. Um, and then I kind of fell out of doing it, and I've decided to pick it back up again and I think if I get back to the level I was at before, uh, I will actually maybe open an Etsy store and uh, start selling press-ons or something. Um, nice. And maybe I could do like a, for our Patreons, uh, a uh, press-on nail for the, the ladies, the lady wanderers. Yeah. yeah. That's or the gentlemen wonder, wanderers. I'm not going to judge. Gender stereotypes are stupid. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that sounds awesome. Um, my week has been just completely busy. Yeah. And like not a free moment to do anything. My backyard is taller than my dog at the moment. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, I, I, I just got back from vacation and I need a freaking vacation. Oh no, one of those. Yeah, it's it's just Ay ay. Go 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 go. Mhm. Nonstop. I I hate that. I hate that about my how life can get like that. I'm not going to say I hate that about my life, but I hate that just You know, no yeah. no relaxation time. It, yeah. it it I don't do well without that, so. Yeah, no, I I totally understand that. Makes sense. Um, all right. Well, I don't really have much else that happened this week other than it was a busy week. I got a new tent. Yay, <laughs> tents. Yay. But um I don't think you guys really want to hear about my tent. Probably not. I don't I can't think of anything else other than the nail stuff. So I mean I can uh, uh I can confirm one other thing. I did make a trip to the ABC store this week and I came home with one gift from friend Shelby and 
two purchases of my own that are from our suggestions and or wants. So we have three more. Yes. So we are sitting with not counting the one we're doing today. I believe six lined up. If my math is right there. Probably is. So you guys stay tuned. We got some really good ones coming up. I'm excited. Really good ones. So anyway, I guess we're going to go ahead and move on and talk about this whiskey. Mm-hmm. Opening the bottle. So this is uh, another whiskey from friend John. I think this is the last of the single barrels he sent us. Uh, so he is in a like whiskey club thing where they get ultra exclusive um, single barrels that they like split amongst themselves. I don't quite know how it works. But uh, he was kind enough to send us uh, samples of some of his, and we've been reviewing them um, every few episodes. So this is number four. This is a whiskey or a bourbon from Wilderness Trail Distillery out of Kentucky. Um, This is the single barrel, and it is, I can't read the percentage from here, Tyler. 57 and a half. There you go. So that is the proof, 57 and a half proof. So as Tyler sits there, swirls it, smells it, does that stuff, I will talk to you a little bit about the company. Um, I think the proof is double the percentage. So that would oh. be 114. What's the difference between proof, proof and ABV? ABV is the percentage. Okay. Proof, proof is, is the, the double the ABV. Okay. 100 proof is 50% alcohol. I think. I'm going to verify that real quick. You do that. All right. So this is directly from Wilderness Trails website. Commitment to the tradition. We have a pioneering spirit here at Wilderness Trail Distillery, just like the settlers who followed the path Daniel Boone blazed into central Kentucky. In keeping with our location in the birthplace of Kentucky, We like blending old traditions with the science of making bourbon and other fine spirits. After years of working with distilleries around the world to provide advice and fermentation products, we launched our premium craft distillery in 2012 with a focus on making the highest quality bourbon, rye, whiskey, and vodka. Our founders, Shane Baker and Pat Heist, are fermentation experts with more than 20 years' experience in the production of alcohol, and some of the best brands on the market today. Our specialty is making unique spirits from locally grown grains to ensure quality and adding a healthy dose of science in the process. Come see what we mean by visiting Wilderness Trail Distillery. So I was right. It is ABV is the percentage and proof is double the ABV. Drop the percentage. So if the ABV is 50, it's 100 proof. Okay. Well. So this is 115 proof. Cool. It's extra alcoholic. Yes. Um, on smelling it, it didn't really burn my nose hairs, which these are all very, very high proofs. Um, so they all have that alcohol burn typically. Uh, every, and when I say all, I mean everything that John sent us. So, 
reading this distillery, they say they do bourbons, whiskeys, and ryes. And this smells to me like a rye um, rather than a straight-on bourbon. Um, and friend John did not write on the paper that it is a bourbon. He just wrote Wilderness Trail Single Barrel. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what to make of that because he did write rye for the last one we've done. So I'm not sure. Yeah, friend John, can you uh, shoot us an email and let us know, uh, is this a bourbon? Is it a rye? What What is uh, this wilderness trail supposed to be? I think it's a rye. That's what I'm going to go with. It smells like a rye. It walks like a rye. It talks like a, wa- a rye. It's, it's a rye. I don't have nearly enough experience with rye to make that just, uh, interpretation confidently. I believe I've had, um, looking at how many we've done, I've had four rye <laughs> uh, because I had never had a rye until we did this podcast. I'm getting a dill. Um, I get a very minor dill. Overall, I didn't get too much of anything. It it seemed very. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Definitely getting dill. Um, it's not very minor to me. I feel like that was kind of the overwhelming smell I was getting other than just base alcohol. Yeah. Um, I think I was just getting the base alcohol mainly. Um, it didn't. It, it, truth be told, I didn't smell dill until you said it and then I could smell it but hmm. all, all I smell is just al- alcohol maybe a little bit of hint of grain but yeah there's definitely cereal grain there but I think that's a given um, yeah I don't know I don't know you keep smelling it um, let's talk a little bit about the co-find- co-founders of Wilderness Trail this is written again on their website in the late 90s We were in a rock band together and quickly realized we needed to chase another dream. In 2006, our journey began with a passion for creating the finest whiskeys in the world. We are fortunate to to be nestled in the rolling hills of historically bold Danville, Kentucky, the birthplace of Kentucky, and also being exposed to Kentucky bourbon industry for generations growing up. And I'm going to scroll down because there was something interesting I read. Just, all right, there we go. Another unique distinction our whiskeys have is that we make a sweet mash instead of a sour mash technique. We were the first of Kentucky's distillers to embrace the sweet mash process as our sole mashing technique. By not acidifying the mash, we are able to bring more flavors forward from the grains with a softer finish, just as in preparing a fine meal. So, I don't know if I've ever heard of a sweet mash before, uh, and that kind of got me excited when I read that, especially since it's the only way they mash, so this this whiskey has to be a sweet mash, right? Isn't that... Logic would dictate. I would think. Well... What are you smelling anything else since we No, I didn't. I went ahead and tasted it. Um There's a burn. There's a significant burn. Uh which makes me lean toward that you're right. This is probably a rye. Um uh, getting leather, getting like yeah, a leather mid. That was that was the only thing I really noticed other than the burn was the leather mid. 
I just I've only taken the one sip so far. Definitely burn leather mid. Um, I did get the initial dill. Um, I get something else on the tip of my tongue. Something, I, something very dull and almost. I guess it's oak, oaky or woody. Yeah, yeah, right some sort tongue. of wood. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I would agree with that. So like, wood, dill, leather, burn. Um, Burn, lots of burn. The burn will stick with you. Yeah. Um, interest. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's uh, I didn't expect that much burn, but I guess I should have with the burn your nose hairs that I that I got. So, kind of swished it around my mouth, and I got the taste of grass, like fresh cut grass. You eat grass. You know how like I'm just giving I'm just giving you shit. Asshole. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> um yeah. So now if I swish it, I'm like grass. There's some grass in there. I I don't know. Not having a cheat sheet to help us with these makes this very hard to know if we're right or if we're dead ass wrong. I, I don't so. get any grass. Well, that's uh, my story, and I'm sticking to it. Fair enough. All right. All right. So let's well, jump on in then. Yep. It's time for the Wonder Segment. All righty. All right, Tyler, it's your turn. It is my turn. Since today is the first Sunday of the NFL season, I thought it'd be worth looking at Another NFL-related topic. Okay. Just to, million, just because millions of people look forward to this day every year, uh, myself included. And you know whether you're, whether you like to cheer on your favorite team or the enjoyment of playing fantasy football or wh- whatever, a lot of people just can't seem to get enough of the NFL. So, okay. um, if you're a longtime listener, you you definitely remember back to episode 21 where we were. Uh, I believe we recorded that on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and we talked about the formation and the history of the NFL. So today we're going to dive a little deep, deeper into some of the troubles that the league has experienced by looking at all of the NFL strikes and lockouts. Ooh, I like this. I like when people get mad. I like drama. As long as I'm not involved. I just like to listen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, so to look at the strikes, we got to start by looking at uh, the NFL Players Association or the NFLPA. The NFLPA was founded in 1956. I'm sorry, the NFLPA, founded in 1956, is a labor union that represents NFL players. It provides players with formal representation in compensation negotiations, as well as collective bargaining agreements or CBAs. Of the four major U.S. sports, it formed second after the Major League Baseball Players Association. You can all, almost always assume in the U.S. when it comes to sports and the business side, baseball did it first. Um, mainly because it's the oldest. Uh, so a lot of this episode will center around CBA disagreements. So let's talk a little bit about collective bargaining agreements in general. 
A CBA is essentially a written contract that's negotiated by two parties, typically a union on behalf of the employees and the management team of a company or a company on behalf of the management team. This contract typically regulates regulates the conditions and terms of the employment at work. Essentially, it's a negotiation about job expectations, safety, benefits, and all other things associated with employment just for the entire group instead of individuals. So as I said, it was formed in 1956, the NFL PA. Um, Once it formed in 1956, all but one of the 12 teams had agreed to join, with the lone holdout being the Chicago Bears. Shortly thereafter, in November of 1956, Creton Miller, who was an unofficial president of the union, uh, decided to call a meeting at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. From this meeting, the players uh, decided on a list of demands, which included a league-wide minimum salary, per diem when on the road, salary payments when players were injured, uniforms and equipment be paid for by the teams, and they asked to be paid for training camp and preseason. I don't feel like any of these were unreasonable. No, no, I wouldn't say so. At this time, uh, the players were actually risking their season and career uh, for no pay during the preseason and during training camp. If they got hurt. If they got hurt. Yep. Well, oh, well. They, they goodbye. Yeah, they weren't paid for any of the exhibition games or training. So mm. I feel like this first ask was when they first formed the union. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a that's an yeah. ask that I think they deserved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the owners. Yeah. My opinion of the owners on this, not to spoil anything, but just generally, they were kind of shady, especially back then. Mm. And this, you could the same can be said for baseball. The owners were doing some really screwed up stuff until the seventies and eighties. So, I guess that was just the times. Them's was the times. Um, the the NFL owners refused to even meet with the NFL PA until threatened with an antitrust lawsuit. This got the attention of the owners really quick. Looking to avoid a lawsuit. You're trying to get my attention? Nope. Oh. <laughs> I was spinning a finger, uh, or I was spinning a pin around my fingers. I, I, I almost that. threw I thought it. You, I thought you were trying to get my nope, attention. Nope, I almost threw it, and uh, I decided I should probably not do that. So I'm going to play with my whiskey glasses. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, so the owners uh, were looking to avoid the lawsuit, and they agreed to pay a minimum salary of $5,000. Uh, and $50 for each exhibition game played. What year was this? Uh, this was, I believe, 1956. Yeah, late 1950s, early 1960s. One thing about this episode is the dates skip around because there's a lot of court battles and courts take years to decide anything. So, you know, it might I might say 1956 and I might jump to 1960 before anything was actually... This is a... Salary, I would say, is reasonable for a uh, football player. So $5,000 in 1956 to today is equal to uh, $50,184.38. I mean, you're you're making above the average American, but you're not making millions astronomically for playing a game. So I'd I'd say $5,000, not bad. Um, 
How much did that come out to again? 50 what? 50,100 and something. Interesting. 50,184. And then uh, you said they get $50 when? For each exhibition game. So the preseason, there's usually four games. So that's 200 bucks. Okay. Figure that's going to put them up like maybe a thousand bucks. Uh, $50. 2000. $50 in 1956 is $501 today. So if they have four games, that's two grand. Yeah. I mean, so. yeah. Reasonable. I'll say that's more reasonable than what they're making today. Um, I'm going to disagree for reasons I'll touch on later. Okay. Um, although this was a success for the players, it did not result in the owners recognizing the NFLPA as the player's exclusive bargaining representative, meaning that this was not a collective bargaining agreement. During the early 1960s, the Players Association would use the threat of an antitrust lawsuit to go on and gain a pension plan and health insurance. If you'll also remember back to episode 21, during this time, there were several other competing leagues that were forming, and the play, NFL Player Association tried to use this to their advantage to get higher contracts. But, as you would expect, the owners fought back by changing the pension plan so that it was nullified if the player left for another league. You've gone back to the pen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In 1967... <laughs> Take all the pins from me. I'm just going to take all the pins away from Megan. Sorry for that pause there. Um, In in 1960... I am a child. Yeah, so am I. In 1967, the Players Association president, Bernie Parrish, became upset with the ineffectiveness of the organization and proposed uh, that the players form a union. Up until this point, the Players Association had been just that, a players association. It was not a true union since there was no collective bargaining agreement. Parrish began distributing union cards to try and form the American Federation of Pro Athletes. However, it was rejected by the NFL players at its annual meeting in January of 1968. Or it was it was rejected by the players association. So there's going to be times in this where I reference the players association as the players the union, the players association, the NFLPA, and then the owners as the NFL, the owners, the NFL owners, etc. So just I'm gonna know, get super confused. Okay, I will try to keep it. If you're confused, please let me know. Okay. Because it changes, like their their title kind of changes okay. over time when it benefits them. All right. <laughs> um, during the same meeting, the Players Association declared itself an independent union, meaning that they could now negotiate a collective bargaining agreement on behalf of all union members, but were not part of any labor federations, such as the American Federation of Labor. Six months later, six months later, the players voted to strike on July 3rd, 1968, due to unhappiness with the lack of compensation they were, that they were receiving. The owners responded by declaring a lockout. This lasted for a grand total of 12 days, and it resulted in the first official collective bargaining agreement between the NFL, PA, and the owners. 
The owners agreed to a minimum minimum salary of $9,000 for rookies and $10,000 for veterans and $50 per exhibition game. So they basically doubled their salary in, what was that, 10 years? Um, The owners also agreed to contribute uh, $1.5 million to the pension fund. Despite all this, players still felt that the agreement fell short of what they had hoped for. Another noteworthy observation on the original collective bargaining agreement is that no neutral arbitration took place. The two sides were able to come to an agreement without an impartial party there to make the decision. After they agreed, everything went back to normal. Took them 12 days. Um, Flash forward to 1970 when the American Football League and the National Football League agreed to merge. The Players Association agreed to the same. So essentially what that means is the AFL had its own Players Association and the NFL had its Players Association and they agreed to merge when the leagues merged. They decided to keep the name the NFL Players Association. Originally, the NFL wanted Ed... Yeah, that's right. Originally, the NFL players wanted Ed Metter as president, and the AFL players wanted Jack Kemp. However, the two sides compromised and selected John Mackey of the Baltimore Colts and named him president. They, they compromised on Mackey because of the unique situation that the Colts were in. They were originally an NFL team, prior to the merger that had been realigned and was now in the conference with all the AFL teams. So they kind of had a vested interest in both sides of that merger. Um, The NFL owners agreed to recognize, meet, and negotiate with the new NFL Players Association, but asked that lawyers be left out of the negotiations. Players Association refused and petitioned the National Labor Relations Board for union certification, meaning that they were no longer an independent union and that they could now use the NLRB to enforce the collective bargaining agreement and other unfair labor practices against the NFL, so against the owners. Like I said, they kind of changed their title when it benefits them, so now they've officially become a union. Okay. I'm following so far. Okay. In 1970, on July 3rd, the players again decided to strike. Uh, In June, the Players Association filed an unfair labor practice charge with the NLRB. That's, again, the National Labor Relations Board. A new four-year-long collective bargaining agreement was agreed upon shortly after the owners threatened to cancel the season. And the results of this agreement were minimum salaries were increased to $12,500 for rookies and $13,000 for veterans, dental care, improved pensions, and the players gained the right to select their own representative to sit on the league's retirement board, as well as the right to impartial arbitration for injury grievances. This is 1970? Correct. Um, The owners responded to these changes by releasing many of the players who were union representatives 
from their teams. They pretty much said, you want to take, you want to stand up for yourselves? Well, then you can get out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. Uh, That sounds, that's illegal today, isn't it? um, Wouldn't that be considered retaliation? I think it would be, I I don't know. Uh, Truth be told, I'm sure it's illegal in some manner. It just, it seemed, I don't know if they were necessarily blackballed. They were just released from their team. They may have, may have been blackballed out of the league. Hmm. Uh, honestly, I didn't, I didn't look because I couldn't find any names of specifically who the players were. Okay. Um, in 1971, the NFLPA officially became certified by the NLRB as a union. So they're officially a union in 1971. So we're going to jump ahead now to 1974. But before we get too far along into the strike, we need to talk a little bit about the Rozell rule. The Rozell rule was named after NFL commissioner Pete Rozell and allowed the commissioner to award compensation, including players, to a team losing a free agent if both the signing team and the team losing the player could not come to a compensation agreement. <laughs> so I didn't want to interrupt you. No, you're, you're fine. Um, and this is not on topic at all, but it made me Google. So I'm not a football like follower person. Um, anyone who's listened to this podcast probably knows that I'm a very, very uh, fair weather fan. This, well, yay, okay, let's go back to baseball. But I... And I don't, I can't even remember the guy's actual name, but I'm picturing Roz Al Ghul. The guy from Batman? Yep. And Liam I'll, Neeson? Well, yes, Liam Neeson plays him in um, Batman, but he's a he's character in the comics too. Oh, okay. And I'm just picturing him at the head of like this NFL board, and it's very amusing in my mind. Interesting, so. because there's a, there's a road in Charlotte called Rosal's Ferry. And I work with the great-great-grandson of the Rosal, the guy that owned Rosal's Ferry, and his last name is still Rosal. Or actually, it's pronounced Rosel. Rosel. But the road is called Rosal's Ferry. It's interesting. I don't know. Um, I will just, anytime you hear Rosal, I go, Rosal, cool. That's just the way it goes. Gotcha. So, um, sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, so the last sentence is a complicated sentence um so i'm going to read it again and try to explain it um the rozell rule was named after no nfl commissioner pete rozell and it allowed the commissioner to award compensation including players to a team losing a free agent if both the signing team and the team losing the player could not come to a compensation agreement you have no idea what that means okay so say i own a team and you own a team. Okay. And you've got a player that you are not going to re-sign. Okay. I want to sign him. Okay. I have to pay you some form of compensation for the essentially the right to sign that Even player. though I don't want him anymore. More or less. So I don't I want him. I'm going to it's like a- let him go. But you still have to pay me. It's almost like the NFL's form of the reserve mm, clause. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. And so shady shit. The commissioner basically would get involved. If we couldn't come to an agreement, the commissioner would get involved and say, Okay, well, since we can't agree and I want your player, I'm gonna take the commissioner would say, I have to give you three of my best players for this one guy. Oh, because you know, just as an example, it, whatever fair value the commissioner saw, and it wasn't just players. It could be money. I might have to give you money and a player. And, you know, hmm. it just, the rule heavily limited player movement, and it kept salaries down because teams were very unwilling to sign star players, afraid that their team would be rated of its own players. I mean, that makes sense. I get that. So it's kind of one of those like it suck it sucks but for the owners it sucks but they they kind of put it in place to keep costs of you know player salaries low. Mm-hmm. Like I said, similar to the reserve clause in baseball. Yeah. Um, again, baseball did it first. <laughs> Once the CBA from 1970 was up in 1974. The players chose to strike again on July 1st. On their list of demands was the elimination of the Rozell rule. The options clause, or the option clause, which is the NFL's version of the reserve clause in the MLB. So the the option clause actually was the reserve clause. The Rozell rule dealt with free agents. So essentially the option clause meant that you couldn't leave the team you played for. Um, they also wanted to get rid of the draft and waiver systems and demanded individual contracts instead of uniform contracts for the entire team. As you've heard earlier, it's certain salary for rookies, certain salary for veterans. Doesn't matter how good you are. That's what you get. So this strike actually ended up lasting until August 10th when the owners, uh, with the owners playing the preseason, with teams made entirely of rookies. The players chose to end the strike, however, without a new CBA, uh, choosing instead to pursue the option of free agency through a lawsuit that John Mackey had filed three years earlier. Essentially, they learned that they could make more headway in the courts instead of through collective bargaining. Yeah, amongst themselves. Um, ultimately, the court the courts ruled in favor of the Players Association in 1976 and found that the Rozell rule was in violation of the Sherman Act because it deterred franchises from signing free agents. Despite the success in the courts, true free agency was still not possible as teams still maintained a right of first refusal on players leaving and free agent compensation was still tied to draft picks that were awarded based on the leaving players salary. This was called the plan B free agency. And this, this along with the first one, this one confused the heck out of me the first time I read it. But what I gather is that it essentially means teams are still using the Rozell rule but instead of using money to pay the team that was losing a player, they would be compensated with draft picks instead of actual compensation. That's 
what I think. I couldn't find too much detail on it. Um, okay. But anyway, the owners and players reached a new collective bargaining agreement in March of 1977 that lasted until 1982. When, guess what? The players went on strike again. Um, the reason for this strike uh, was the union's demand for a wage scale based on the percentage of gross revenues. Essentially, the players wanted their pay to be 55% of the owner's total revenues before any expenses, which the NFL owners vehemently yeah. disagreed to. Uh-uh, that's my money. Resulting in the strike. Um, this occurred much later in the year than previous strikes. Uh, as it began on September 21st and lasted until November 16th, right in the heart of the football schedule. No games were played during this time, with the exception of two NFL Player Association-organized All-Star games, one of which was played in Washington, D.C., and the other in Los Angeles the following day. Ultimately... Uh, the NFL players agreed to the games uh, just to try and make some form of income. Neither game was attended well, and both were blacked out on TV, so very little income was generated. Oof. In addition, television networks struggled to fill the, the regular football airtime. They attempted to use college football games and the Canadian Football League, but found very little viewership. Canada has a football league? Yes. Did not know that. Um, I remember seeing it a little bit when I was in like high school. And if memory serves there, they only play 50 yards. It's not, it's essentially like there's one, you cut the field in half mm -hmm. and the team getting the ball. Or maybe this is arena football. Now that I think about it, I, I think what I'm thinking of is arena football. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Um, the players, many of whom were not receiving any income during the strike, ultimately decided to end the strike going against their own union. This resulted in a nine-game season that featured a 16-team Super Bowl tournament. <laughs> Essentially, they modified the <laughs> hell out of the season. Um, a new five-year CBA was agreed to, which provided an increase in salaries and postseason pay, gave them bonuses based on the number of years of experience they had in the league, and it gave retirement packages to players. The NFL Players Association was also allowed to receive a copy of all player contracts. And so now we're getting into some of the the next two are the heavy hitters that shape the NFL. All of these shape the NFL we see today, but these you can still see like the they shape shaped what you we can see. see the footprints of these two. Okay. In my in my lifetime of watching football at least. So the collective bargaining agreement expired in nineteen eighty seven and naturally the players went on strike once again. They strike over every little thing. Every time they get the chance, they go and strike. <laughs> we want more. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, this time, the major issue was free agency. One week of the season was canceled, and the following three weeks had games played by players who had been cut from teams. They were former U.S. Football League players, which was a competing league that had just folded. Um, and a few vet... Uh, yeah, and there was one Canadian football team that had just gone under as well. They would poach players from that team. And a few veterans chose to cross the picket lines. A couple of these famous players were Joe Montana, Doug Flutie, Steve Largent, and Randy White. I only recognize Joe Montana. Oh, man. Doug Flutie's the other one you should definitely recognize. If you're an NFL fan, I'll give you the I'll give you benefit of the doubt because you're not an NFL fan. Thank you. In addition to players crossing the picket lines, TV networks were still willing to air the games. I guess they kind of learned from not being able to fill the airtime last strike. Um, the combination of these two factors led the union to ultimately end the strike on October 15th with no new collective bargaining agreement in place. Despite ending the strike, the NFLPA filed an antitrust lawsuit against the NFL asking a federal judge to eliminate the league's free agency restrictions. In 1989, the courts rejected the lawsuit by the union, stating that the owners were protected from antitrust law by labor exemption. Because of this ruling, the union decided to reform into a professional organization, which would allow individual players to file antitrust action against the NFL and its Plan B free agency. Naturally, a lawsuit occurred, and it was led by Freeman McNeil of the New York Jets, and in 1993 was finally successful. The result of this case was that both parties agreed to establish a new salary floor for players. It allowed for free agency, and for the owners, established a salary cap. This collective bargaining agreement was extended five times. No more strikes when the collective bargaining agreement's up. It was extended until 2010. Oh, sh that's like... Ten years ago. Yeah, that, that's yeah. super recent. Um, it started the year I was born and lasted until I was in high school. Wow. Yep. But, as is evident, the players always strike. So, naturally... So they striked as recently as 2010? Yes. Huh. Um, technically, this one wasn't a strike. Okay. Technically, this was a lockout. Um, so from March 12th to July 25th of 2011, the owners locked out the players from all league facilities and shut down the league after being unable to, gr to agree on a new collective bargaining agreement. What's a league facility? Is that just like the building? Any building associated with like the Dallas Cowboys locked all their practice fields, all their weight rooms, all their film rooms, all of the okay doctors and trainers and all of that. Okay. Taking it away from the players. Okay. I get it now. Um. So as I said, the 1993 CBA was extended until 2010 when the league owners decided to opt out early. 
One thing to think about during all this, I didn't put this in my notes, but I'm going to interject it here, is think about how much money and how exponentially the NFL grew between 1993 and 2010, by the way. So the reason that the owners decided to opt out early is that they wanted a larger percentage of league revenues. So some of these details are a little complicated, so I'm going to summarize it by saying this. Um, Under the 1993 collective bargaining agreement, higher earning teams were required to transfer revenues to lower earning teams, even if the higher earning team had higher costs than the low earning teams. And that was just one aspect of it. So, some of the players thought that the owners were using this as a way to change their own revenue sharing agreement, which was attached to the collective bargaining agreement. So it seems like the owners wanted to reduce their looking after one another and did so at the expense of the players to a certain degree. They wanted other things as well, though. The owners wanted to reduce the player's percentage of revenues. They wanted to establish a first-round rookie salary cap, and they wanted to extend the regular season from 16 to 18 games. The players, on the other hand, wanted no salary reductions, more benefits for former players, improvements to to the health and safety training, and a guaranteed higher percentage of league-wide revenue. The players actually anticipated that the owners would lock them out and players on every team voted in the fall of 2010 to renounce their rights to a collective bargaining, announce their rights to collective bargain if a CBA couldn't be reached before the old one expired. This was a genius move because it exposed the owners to antitrust laws when the CBA wasn't renewed this resulted in both sides hiring lobbyists to influence lawmakers on their behalf a lawsuit was filed by several well-known players including peyton manning tom brady and drew Brees. yes tom brady is still playing in the nfl and just won the super bowl last year is he didn't he retire now though or is it now he played this year he's in he played on thursday night in the First game and one. Jesus. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen that game. Um, so they filed a lawsuit, an antitrust lawsuit that resulted in a federal judge invalidating the lockout. The owners appealed and were able to get a temporary stay, allowing the lockout to continue. On July 21st, the owners agreed to settle with the players' lawsuit, and the players approved of the settlement on July 25th. The owners received the settlement of all pending litigation, a rookie wage system, full regular season game revenue, and better revenue sharing. The franchise and transition tags were created, which allowed the team to designate one player per season to not leave the team in free agency while paying that player 120% of their previous year's salary. The players got $1 billion in benefits for retired players, the ability to stay in the player's medical plan for life, 
an increase to minimum salary, increased injury protection, increased roster, roster sizes, unrestricted free agency after four years, and a true salary floor, which is where we stand today. And I believe the next CBA... I think I saw something that's either been renewed in 2020 and goes through... I know the current one goes through 2030. I just don't remember if it's been renewed. The one that... Obviously, they didn't didn't strike again. So, Um, It's just very interesting to sit here and think about how much popularity the NFL has gained over the last 20 to 30 years and how it's a constant battle between... The owners wanting to make as much money as possible and the players also wanting to make as much money as possible. And it's interesting to watch them kind of fight back and forth. It's it, This has opened my eyes to how back and forth and how much of a business really it is. Um, I, I never really thought of the NFL being that. I, like, obviously it's a business, but. Is that why you think fifty thousand isn't fair? Or you said you were going to touch on that, and I don't know if I like missed. So or... just basically, the fact that it's grown and so much popular, like it's grown to be a billion dollar industry. Mm, that's right. It... You're putting your body on the line. Mm. You're like, yeah. You could be completely screwed up. Also, the owners can make money hand over fist. I think you deserve some of that money if you're you're the one taking the risk. Okay, that's fair. I don't think the owners deserve to make bukus and bukus of dollars on their NFL team. But I I guess I would say like maybe let's look at increasing the salaries of like the little guy, like the dude who sweeps up the the uh, changing room or something like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want the owner to make more money, but I don't know if a $7 million salary is something that everyone needs. Well, I, I see both sides of it. Uh, As an owner, I'm not going to pay somebody more than their, I don't want to say more than they're worth, but if you're doing a job that's worth $20,000, I'm not going to pay you $50,000 to do it. That's how, that's not how you become an NFL owner. You have to be a smart business person. Well, that's not a smart business decision, but I also see it from the player's perspective of I'm out here probably going to end up with CTE. Like I want benefits when I'm old. I want money that I can fall back on. I want to take care of my family after I'm gone. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a complicated issue, but it, it's more complicated than I thought it was. Yeah. I will definitely, definitely give you that. Yeah, it is. It, it's just, you know, and if you think about the popularity of it and how much, I mean, hell, there's an industry the entire fantasy football industry is created around the NFL. Mm-hmm. It spawned its own industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to say everybody because I know there's a ton of people out there that are not NFL fans, but, you know, the majority of the country loves it. Loves it. It's it's essentially the equivalent of the gladiator battles in Rome. People loved them. People still love it. Yeah. So it's it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. And so businessmen are going to be businessmen. And unfortunately, the world's just life's not fair. So the little guy is going to continue to get screwed. And the players and the owners are going to be the ones that battle. Damn. I, I feel bad for the little guy. Well. But. Mm, 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 mm. Anyway, so uh, that's it. I hope it was, uh, it was informative. Very informative. I do. Before we move on, I do have a question. Um, did you read a lot during this about like helmet regulations and stuff? I did not look into safety at all. I'd, I'd heard and I don't even remember where I heard this, but I thought a lot of player like strikes and stuff were be- was because of safety issues and like how dangerous I, it is. But, I think in the last, definitely the last one. Yeah, um, that's the one you mentioned safety, but I didn't possibly, hear it anything. Any I, time. I've watched the NFL since I was little, early 2000s, and I never heard any kind of any kind of mention of player safety or concussion safety or anything like that's a very recent. Oh. It's only after NFL players started killing themselves, like writing suicide notes, shooting themselves in the chest and saying, examine my brain, something's not right. And like uh, the one that comes to mind is Junior Say. Uh, Junior Say, I did that, I think. The uh, hell? I didn't know this is a thing. Oh, yeah. Um. Uh, da, 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 da. Yep, Junior Seau was one of the first um, on May 2nd, 2012. Seau's girlf- girlfriend found him dead with a gunshot wound to the chest at his home in Oceanside. He left... Oh, he didn't leave a suicide note, but he did leave a piece of paper in the kitchen of his home with lyrics he scribbled from his favorite country song, Who I Ain't. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is the, the original. Uh, Sayo's death recalled the 2011 suicide of former NFL player Dave Durson, who shot himself in the chest and left a suicide note requesting his brain be studied for brain trauma. Sayo had no prior reported history of concussions, but his ex-wife said he did sustain concussions during his career. He always bounced back and kept on playing. He's a warrior that didn't stop him. He had insomnia for at least the last seven years of his life, and he was taking Zolpidem Ambien, a prescription drug commonly prescribed for sleep disorders. So, mm. yeah, there have been uh, several NFL players' brains, who have, several NFL players that have committed suicide and had their brains examined, and all of them show CTE. Wow. Um, even, even players that didn't, that just died naturally, wow. still, sh- you know, still showed CTE um, when their brains were examined. But that... Like, you didn't hear about that until five, six years ago. Wow. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, things like that. Mm. So they realized there's a problem. Um, So I imagine it'll be heavy on the next CBA. Yeah. But it's also, again, part of the times. 
Yeah. Look at look at the times. You know, if you didn't get back up and go out there after you got rocked, you know, like you you were in done. trouble. Yeah. yeah, you were in trouble in the NFL, and that's just, you know, our society's come a long way in the last fifty or so years. So good, good. We need to keep keep on chugging along, keep on moving forward. The only hope we have. Anyway, we're going to move on to this. Trivia with Tyler. So this is a really, really old trivia with Tyler. Okay. I just happened to found it. You just happened to found it? Uh, yep, I just happened to found it. Okay. Um, I... Just happened to find it. Um, so it is illegal to trade onion futures in the United States due to the 1958 Onion Futures Act. What is an onion future? It's a type of investment where you can you uh you can take a commodity and trade uh trade it based on. Ah, uh, shit, I don't even know. <laughs> it's like based on what it will do. Let me go. I, yeah, because when you say onion future, I'm picturing like onion crops. Uh, Essentially kind of. I don't, I don't know what that means. All right, so how to trade futures. Here we go. This is from realvision.com. Let's go to a better source. It's uh, <laughs> nerd wallet, futures trading. What is it and how to do it? A futures contract is an agreement to buy or sell an asset at a future date at an agreed-upon price. Mm. That okay. asset might be soybeans, coffee, oil, individual stocks, ETF, cryptocurrencies, blah, 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 blah. I get I know. I so. know. I, yep. I so, know what you're talking about now. It's illegal to trade onion futures in the United States due to the 1958 Onion Futures Act after two traders in 1955 purchased 98% of the onions in Chicago and subsequently crashed onion prices while holding short positions on onion futures. So they completely fucked the entire onion market. Two people. Two people. Dang. Apparently the Winthorpe Valentine Act of 1984 added similar restrictions on orange fruit-related futures. <laughs> so. Uh <laughs> yeah, so investors will try anything to get ahead. Moral of that story. Jesus. Um, so we're going to move on. We do actually have mail time this week. Mail. Somewhere. Mail time. I had been so good about the buttons today. I hit them all in the right order and didn't have to struggle for any of them until that one. It's because I don't hit it enough. Y'all, email us. Email us at contact at whiskeyandwonder.com. I forgot to mention in the open segment that um, Steve from Blue's Clues never forgot me and thinks I've accomplished lots of stuff, and I love him. Did y'all just hear Megan lose her mind? <laughs> no. Have you not seen what's going on with Steve? I have no idea. Who the hell is Steve? You watch Blue's Clues as a kid. No. You are... I like I know, I know what it was, but I. <laughs> so 
my dad told I was watching Blues Clues one time. This was like one of the first times I'd ever watched it. And I remember my dad distinctly came in the room and he's like, Why are you watching this baby show for? And I never watched it after that. Damn, Tyler's yeah. dad. What yeah, a my, dick. My dad kind of ruined that one for me. What a dick. Well, okay. Um, I'll show you the video after. Basically, the world has been such a disaster that Steve from Blues Clues, like made a message to all of his old fans and it was very heartwarming and I cried the first time I saw it. I'll I'll explain it off air. Wasn't that dude like on drugs? No. Okay. That's what I heard. That there were so many rumors when we were in high school and stuff about why he suddenly quit. Um no, he was on drugs. All right, he was anyway. On drugs. He was going bald and went to college. Oh, okay. Good for him. Um so do you want to read this or would you like me to read this message? Um, you go ahead. Okay. You read it. This was from friend Houston or life partner Houston, life depending partner on Houston. which one of us you are. <laughs> uh, he says, so let me start by apologizing for missing your poll and for not writing you sooner. Recently just finished your episode of the beast of Javodon. That one. I had to put I had put this particular episode off in an, an attempt to avoid the spoilers to Meg's story. The episode was fascinating, regardless of the tinfoil used to make sense of these cryptic events. You can't help but wonder. Personally, my money's on wolves, but you never know. It could be werewolves. It was fun having my imagination run wild with each of your mentioned possible explanations. I was hooked from beginning to end. Keep up the great work. Houston, we appreciate it. Thank you for sending a yes. mail time. Thank you for sending a mail time. It only took, whatever, what episode are we on? 48. Only took 48 episodes to get a mail from you, so thank you. <laughs> hey, better late than never. You're the best. I love you. Um, For anybody that's wondering, The Beast of... Javudan Is episode 42. And it is fascinating. Yes, it is. Um, And that's the only message we got this week, other than stuff that I can't read on the air, so... <laughs> that makes it sound horrible. No, it, it's just like us organizing. Uh, in person. Yeah, people yes. coming on the podcast. I'm not reading any of that to you guys. <laughs> so if you're part of that conversation, then you'll get to, you can go read it yourself. If not, you'll just have to wonder and wait and see. Um, All right, so let's move on. Final thoughts. Yeah. I'm adding a water drop to see because I've been drinking it and I liked it without the water drop. Let's see what happens when I add a water drop to it. Um gonna swish it around town. Yeah, I added two water drops to mine. Swish it around town and All right, Megan's drinking, so I'll stop my drink real oh, quick. Oh, it's so more bitter. Oh, really? Oh, it's so bitter. No, 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 no. Oh, that is bitter. It is. Mo bitter. Mo bitter. Woo. Um, oh. Hey. Well. Oh. What? Uh, so. Yeah, talk to me about it. What do you think? Um, I'm going to rate it without the water drop because okay. I was just yeah. doing that for yeah. science. Yeah. Um, it was high middle of the road. Um. I'd say five and a half. I'd buy it again. Um, not not horrible. Not the best ever, but 
little, little tiny, tiny bit better than average. Um, with now the water added in it, it'd be like a two. But so don't put water in this. <laughs> don't put water in this one. Um, I don't have much to say on this. I didn't like it. I even without the water, it's I was gonna go the two and a half with the water. Uh, I would put it at a one. So <laughs> it's uh, it's not not for me to burn to dilly to yeah i'm just i think the burn's too overpowering for me that's why i rated it as low as i did but i'm gonna go with a two and a half all right two and a half so i'm gonna drink this just to get rid of it all right sorry friend john chug 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 yay disgusting oh that's got a funny taste in the back of my mouth <laughs> mm. That's what she said. Oh my god. All right. Well, y'all, I think we're going to wrap it up this week. Uh we'll be back next week. We will be with Megan's next uh next topic. Yes. Um and a new whiskey. Yes, we have Quite the few, quite the selection lined up. So yes, very excited um, to try some of the whiskeys on deck. So uh, that being said, though, um, thank you guys for sticking around. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for subscribing, rating, um, donating, doing all the wonderful things you do. Uh, Tell your friends. Yes, if you have a friend who likes whiskey, send them over. If you have a friend who likes to learn stuff, send them over. They don't have to like whiskey. Um, that being said, guys, we are going to get out of here. Me and Tyler are both exhausted. We hope you have a wonderful week. We hope each other has a better week than yes. we had. <laughs> yes. Um, and that being said, guys, thank you so much. Have a good night. Don't drink and drive. And cheers. That's got a funny taste in the back of my mouth.